I literally knew everything there was to know about opposition. I was like an absolute max premium expert. And then, of course, I knew absolutely nothing about government. We knew it was going to be the last meeting that Michael and I would have. And he gave me a list and said, here are the things that I want you to implement. Hello and welcome to Preparing for Power, a special inside briefing podcast brought to you by the Institute for Government. The days, weeks and months ahead are going to be dominated by opinion polls and campaign slogans, policy pledges and manifesto launches. But what about the morning after election night? Whoever forms the next government will need to be prepared and the job begins almost as soon as the votes have been counted. So what is it like to go from opposition to government overnight? How do civil servants get ready for the possibility of a transition of power or a hung parliament? And what is it like for a governing party to continue in power after a bruising campaign? Over the next six weeks, the Institute for Government will be taking you behind the scenes to find out how our politicians, advisers and officials block out the noise of a general election campaign to get ready for being in government. We'll be speaking to former ministers, special advisers and senior civil servants to discover how they prepared for that all-important election result and its aftermath, to hear their secrets and to work out the lessons for 2024. I'm Catherine Haddon, Programme Director at the Institute for Government. In this first episode, we'll be looking at access talks, the all-important discussions between the opposition and the civil service in the run-up to a general election. Requested by the Leader of the Opposition, authorised by the Prime Minister, Access Talks are the first chance the Opposition get to talk to the Civil Service about what they might do if they win the election. But why do they matter, how do they work and what makes them a success? We sat down with Gus O'Donnell, now Lord O'Donnell, who was Cabinet Secretary at the time of the 2010 general election. So Access Talks are when the Prime Minister allows the Opposition to have talks with the Civil Service about their future programme. The opposition come in, all of the shadows meet their permanent secretaries and they explain what they'd like to do right at the start, their policies. In theory, you sit there as a permanent secretary and you listen. It's your chance to establish a personal relationship, your chance to establish what are their priorities and to get a feel for building the trust and the relationship that you will need if they come into government. It's worth remembering that for the opposition, these preparations are only worth it if they get into government. Harriet Harman, a member of the incoming Labour government in 1997, remembers how winning was everyone's top priority. I was still very much in we've got to try and get elected mode. And of course, you know, there was enough reason to think that because we'd lost in 83, in 87, in 92. You know, we'd we'd been on the losing side and in my mind, the most important thing to do was to be winning next time. And therefore, access talk seemed like an interference with going around the country trying to win support to get votes. And that was a big mistake because you, you've got to take access talk seriously because, you know, you might be in government. And if you are in government, you need to get the absolute best out of those access talks. Pre-election contact between the opposition and the civil service first appeared in 1964 allowing the then Labour opposition to discuss their plans for splitting the Treasury. Access talks are now considered a regular feature of every election, but when they start is still something decided by the Prime Minister. From 1997 through to 2010, access talks started around 16 months out from the latest possible election date, 
but in 2015 they started just over seven months out. And this time around, with the election less than a year away, the talks have only just been granted. If I had my way, I would like to change the process. I would like the next version of the Cabinet Manual to make it absolutely clear that a Prime Minister, at the start of their term of office, would say that they will allow access talks to go ahead. It'll be automatic. There's no no need for an opposition request within, let's say, 18 months of the final date of an election. Obviously, without a fixed-term Parliaments Act, you can't be specific about dates, but I think that's the kind of thing that will make a lot of sense. And then the opposition could choose. Uh, and oppositions, you know, it's a balance for them because they want to have the access talks when they're ready for them. If you leave them to the last minute, the problem is then you, they don't happen, right? They're not interested because, quite rightly, in the general election period, they want a campaign 24-7. And they're not interested in coming to talk to boring civil servants about policy. All they're interested in is, can they win that vote? Once the talks have been authorised, it's down to the opposition to decide how they want to use them. Some shadows use them more extensively than others. So the first meeting I had with Michael Gove, we held in a private room over dinner because I thought it was very important. And to be fair, so did Michael that we used this as a getting to know each other session. And uh, it was a a sense in which we could judge from each other and with each other whether we could do business. So although the first meeting had a formal agenda, it was actually as much as anything about the getting to know you. In 2010, Sir David Bell was the Permanent Secretary at the Department for Children, Families and Schools, now the Department for Education. The Shadow Education Secretary was Michael Gove, who had fairly advanced plans for what the Conservatives wanted to do, particularly in extending the Academy's programme. So that was the first session we had. As I recall, we then met probably four or five times over the subsequent 12 months or thereabouts. It was a very different experience for James Sue Owen, a senior civil servant at the Department for Work and Pensions in 2010. It's very much the opposition's call as to whether they want to meet you. And very few of us went. We had a couple of meetings, maybe three, with Theresa May, who was the Shadow Secretary of State for, for DWP. And if I recall then, we went over to a meeting room in the House of Commons. Of course, the manifestos haven't been published at that stage, but we were obviously listening out for anything, any clues as to what they might be thinking of. Meeting the civil service can sometimes be unfamiliar territory for the opposition. They can feel a pressure to have something ready to talk to them about, as Harriet Harman recalled. I think I should have got much more information before I went in to meet the permanent secretary and the top team about what they were going to ask me about, because I felt like I was going into an exam where I didn't know what the curriculum was, let alone any of the answers. Talks aren't just between the Shadow Secretary of State and the Permanent Secretary. The opposition have a whole political team, including junior ministers and political advisers. In quite a few cases, advisers will take the lead in discussions. Before the 2010 election, Goh's advisers were key to his plans for office. There were not many, I think maybe only two or three conversations with Sam Friedman and Dominic Cummings on the policy side. And actually, I think we as a senior team within the department found the conversations with Sam particularly helpful because we could get into a bit more detail that neither Michael would be interested in talking about nor necessarily would know. And so that complemented 
the bigger picture conversations I was having. Moving from opposition to government is a big adjustment. Shadow ministers go from having a small team of advisers who can all fit round a table together to running a department with thousands of civil servants. One thing that comes up time and again is the importance of access talks for building relationships between senior civil servants and their potential future ministers. I had six secretaries of state and the thing you have to get to grips with immediately is the sort of emotional intelligence of the person and how they work and how they absorb information and how they communicate. As well as meeting with Theresa May in 2010, Sue Owen also ran talks with Harriet Harman in 2015 as Permanent Secretary of DCMS. It was just very nice to get a feel for what sort of person they were. I mean, Harriet was very relaxed. Theresa May was a much more formal kind of person. and She's been Prime Minister now. I think everybody, everybody knows that. You know, she works in a completely different kind of way to many other people. And, and, you know, it's your job as the civil servants to adjust to that. But to build these relationships and for the opposition to share ideas with the civil service, there has to be trust. Sir Oliver Letwin was shadow minister and then minister for government policy under David Cameron. He shared extensive details of the conservative plans and policies with the civil servants he met during access talks because he trusted them to keep the conversations confidential. We were absolutely confident that whatever we told them was not going to go back to the Labour government or anywhere else. It wasn't going to go outwards, it wasn't going to go upwards, it was just going to sit with that. So we were very open and felt very confident. Being very open and indeed our confidence was entirely justified. There was no suggestion at any time that any of this stuff was leaking out. Civil servants tell their ministers the talks are happening, but don't share further details with the government. And for some ministers, it's uncomfortable knowing that these meetings are happening under their noses. But others take a more proactive approach, with David Bell remembering a positive experience with the Education Secretary, Ed Balls. Ed spoke to the senior civil service and said that I had a constitutional duty as the permanent secretary to begin those access talks. And he expected me and he trusted me to do those professionally and discreetly. Ed had also said to me privately that he did not expect that I would tell him anything about the access talks. But all he asked for, which was absolutely fine, was that I would inform him when they were taking place. So there was no embarrassment about that. And again, I think that was really helpful because by creating that atmosphere, Ed, in a sense, gave me the permission to do it alongside the expectation that I would continue to lead the civil service team to implement his and his ministerial team's policies. And trust works both ways. While the opposition shares the details of their plans for government with the civil service, officials are also continuing to serve the government of the day and must keep the government's activities confidential. And Oliver Letwin is just as confident that the same standards will be followed today. Of course, the fact that they didn't tell us anything about the Labour government get more confidence that they weren't going to tell the Labour government anything about us. <laughs> we could have been very suspicious if, <laughs> if they'd done any such thing. So it, it's entirely asymmetrical. Uh, but I'll bet my bottom dollar that today's civil service is just as robust and proper about that. It will receive and retain confidentially whatever information it gets from opposition, but it will not give the opposition any secrets or even any insight into current government. And as Gus O'Donnell told us, access talks are the first opportunity for the civil service to prove to their possible new political leaders that they can be trusted. 
It's hugely important for the trust in an impartial civil service that access talks will be killed if anything leaks from them. And I think oppositions would be totally nervous about taking up that opportunity. And therefore, you'd arrive day one, you'd know about manifestos, but you wouldn't know so much more that you really need to know. So, yeah, it would be a real blow if they were damaged in any way. Discussing the policies which the opposition hope to implement if they were to win the election works best where the opposition can set out clear priorities during the access talks. It helped me considerably throughout the process that Michael had a clear idea of the sorts of priorities that he wanted to bring to government. Of course, there were lots of questions he asked me about whether the ideas he had could be delivered. He asked about personnel. He asked about structures. He asked about public appointments. He asked about quangos. He asked all of those right questions. But he gave me from the outset a clear sense of his priorities. And for the opposition, clearly communicating your priorities to the civil service can bring results. I remember I was in Portcullis House in April of 2010, and I think it was there the very day the general election was announced, and uh, we knew it was going to be the last meeting that Michael and I would have. And he gave me a list and said, here are the things that I want you to implement. So that there was no surprise in that. That was all the things that, that we'd been talking about. When I left the department 50 months later, uh, 80 months later, I remember handing Michael his list back. That list he'd given me in the April. And I said, we did all of that. And actually, he was gracious enough to acknowledge that actually for all the ups and downs, we had stayed completely focused on the agenda for government and we made it happen. But not all shadows are quite so forthcoming, as Sue Owen remembers from her conversations with Theresa May ahead of the 2010 general election. Those meetings were pretty formal, as I recall it, and we didn't get a massive clues. I mean, Theresa May talked a bit about tax credits, which were, of course, a Gordon Brown thing and were administered by HMRC. So she asked a little bit about the feasibility of bringing them back into DWP. That was the main thing I really remembered about those talks. And we came back. I mean, obviously, we talked a little bit about the way the department works and the scale of the operations. I would say they were incredibly low key. And in a way, they were marginally disappointing because you somehow you expected to hear more. And what happens if a civil servant hears something they aren't convinced by? The Cabinet Manual makes it clear that the role of civil servants is to listen and provide information where appropriate, not give formal advice. But there are ways for civil servants to gently suggest that the opposition might want to think carefully about certain policies. I have been known to raise my eyebrows when someone said something to me which implies they want to do something which is illegal or impossible. And you try and get across the message that maybe not. O'Donnell recalled using this approach during his first meeting with David Cameron in 2009. We had a discussion about behavioural insights team. We had a discussion about how he wanted to work, some of his policy ideas. I mean, that was where the eyebrows were working when he said, we're going to keep migration to the tens of thousands. It's challenging, I thought, that one. You know, I couldn't quite see what policies they were going to implement that would deliver that result. Let's put it that way. Discussions with departments are not the only access talks taking place. 
as Oliver Letwin explains. Alongside those line departmental conversations, however, there were central conversations, which were not about specific policies of the Home Office or the Department of Education or something with the permanent secretaries thereof, but rather were with people at the centre of the civil service machine about the mechanics of government and the, the overall shape of the policy agendas, the business plans, how we would try to run a government. And so when we came to office, even though it was under different circumstances of coalition, there was a great degree of, first of all, mutual understanding between us, Francis and myself, and the centre of the civil service machine. And there was also a very smooth process because we were doing something that we talked about a lot beforehand. Another important role of the discussions between the Cabinet Office and the Leader of the Opposition is to make sure that there's a whole-of-government perspective. While some past oppositions have wanted cross-departmental talks, they've struggled to organise them because of diaries. But it is important for both the opposition and the civil service to make sure that what shadow teams are discussing with departments is the same message that the leader of the opposition is telling the cabinet office. You will bring all of those access talks together and you will look at them. And then there is a possibility to feed back to the opposition to say, well, you know, uh, shadow minister for this wants to do X, but shadow minister for Y wants to do something which is contradictory. We can't do both. And then that's a question you can throw back to them and say, how do you want to manage that? Access talks are also an opportunity for the civil service to find out how the opposition leader might work differently from the current prime minister. Here's former cabinet secretary Gus O'Donnell again. You need to understand their way of working. You know, Gordon would bash away at a keyboard uh, in a particular way and there were certain things we needed to make sure we did. But yeah, people have got different styles of working. They might want to work in different rooms. You know, Gordon had that war room. It was a very different operation to what most prime ministers have had. And we knew that David Cameron, because of access talks, would want to revert to a more traditional way of doing things. It's also important for the civil service to understand how a new minister's personal life might affect how they want to work. The prime minister, no one will really think about their personal situation you know they've got kids how are we going to make sure that story time is kept free and that you're not bombarding them with ludicrous amounts of work and also how a prime minister is going to stay fit this is one of my big things it's like we give them this terrible lifestyle they live above the shop and most they walk down the stairs but they could take the lift they go out of the door and there's a car car takes them to somewhere else where they don't walk so there's no exercise and they're doing multiple dinners, breakfasts, and everyone comes to them. Everyone comes to Downing Street. You know, they don't go out much. Access talks can be daunting, both for the civil service and for the opposition. Get it right, and they can be incredibly valuable. So how should the civil service approach them now as they start to get underway? The final word on this episode goes to Harriet Harman. I would say for the civil service, for things to work well once things get into government is really bed yourself in with the opposition Secretary of State and really find out what level that they're at. Because I was at a very low level of understanding about how government worked. Not only had I not been a minister, but I didn't know anybody who'd ever been a minister except ancient people who'd been a minister in previous Labour governments, historical Labour governments, and everything had changed since then. And for the opposition? Help the civil service as much as you can with those access talks and also get as much help 
yourself from the civil service from those access talks. So you've got to take them seriously and put a lot of time into them because you're crossing a very big divide. Thanks for listening to this episode of Preparing for Power from the Institute for Government. If you want to read more about access talks or are preparing for them ahead of the election, then check out the general election page on our website for more information. In our next episode, we'll be taking you inside how the civil service prepare for a potential transition. These are your masters, your political masters, and your political masters might change, and it might be a completely new lot, or it might be that your political masters get a regeneration. I never felt at any point at all, actually, that they had taken their foot off the gas, and we had taken our foot off the gas. We'll be finding out how former permanent secretaries got their departments ready for a change of government and hearing about some of the less orthodox ways they readied themselves for a new political boss. See you next time.